So today we are talking about hope. It is the season of hope. And, and by the way, Pastor Dean had already done his message when we had to do this quick switch. And so I took his notes and, and made my own notes and turned the message from three points to five points. I hope that's okay. Uh, but I'm just saying, if, if today the message is awesome and you love it, um, you're welcome. God moved through me. If today the message is like, oh, man, that was a total miss. It was all Pastor Dean's notes. I'm just saying, like, it's all, it's all him. No, I'm just kidding. It's all good. All together, it's all the Lord. Uh, so this is the season of hope. It is the season of hope. Even in 2020, it is the season of hope. And, you know, sometimes when we think about words, do you ever wonder about words? Like, what, what is hope anyways? Well, there's a difference between hope as the world knows it and hope as people of God know it. And I want you to turn your attention to this video to explain it a little bit better. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. 
They believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope. And they use the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. That was produced by the Bible Project. By the way, if you have want to learn about the Bible, it's a bla- great place to learn more. They have all kinds of videos like that. But what I loved about what he said is that hope is bold. Hope is bold. And when I think about the Christmas season, proclaiming the hope of Jesus Christ is a bold move. Because we live in a society where Christmas has become the hope of Christmas is maybe presents or family time or a time of rest, or whatever, whatever it might be. But the hope, the bold hope, is the news of Jesus Christ coming to save us all. There's a, a Rich Volodas wrote a uh, quote the other day, and it says that the Bible doesn't end with souls ascending to a disembodied heaven. It ends with a fully embodied heaven to descending earth. The resurrection is the good news that God in Christ is committed to the renewal reconciliation, and resurrection of all things, and so should the church be. Can I tell you that when I was prepping this message that it it spoke so clearly to me? Because in 2020, and we keep talking about 2020 because it's the most epic year ever, but I have sensed this motion in the beginning of 2020, in fact, the Pastor Dean and Damien and I, we sat down here at this round table and we said, you know, the church is not the walls. The church is the people. We will prevail. God, nothing can come against this. God is for us. And so we have this mighty passion in the beginning of the year. And I think most believers had a mighty passion. We are going to get through this. We are the hope for the world. But it has now been nine months. And lots of things have happened between then and now. Racial tension, riots, elections, bad elections, whatever you think it might happen, all kinds of things have been happening from then to now. And I don't see the momentum, the motion that I saw from Christians, from believers that I did just nine months ago. And I struggled with this today, preparing this, because I don't want to come to you with a message of hope and and get down on you about hope, because hope is good. Hope is what we need. We need the hope of Christ. He is our Savior and our Lord. But this is what I realize is what is in the heart comes out of the mouth. And the mouth and the tongue have the power to give life or give death. 
So Christians, what is our obligation in this moment? It is to proclaim the true hope, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of a Savior. See, and I'm, I'm talking to just the Christians that are listening today because I don't believe that this, what I'm about to say is for non-believers because they know no different. But hope is not in the extin- extinction of a virus. Hope is not in the safety of masks, and I am a mask wearer. Hope is not in the election or the elected. Hope is not in the privileged becoming woke. Hope is not in our patriotic freedom. Hope is not in our rights. Hope is not in our own ability to make things happen. Hope is not in science and vaccines. Hope is not in financial security, success, or status. Hope is not in our heritage or ethnicity or ancestry. Hope is not in the poor becoming rich. Hope is not in the church becoming open or closed. Hope is not in a leader, a priest, a boss, or lawyer, a teacher, or a preacher. Hope is in our Lord and Savior, the once thought dead, the resurrected Jesus Christ. And listen, if that is not coming out of your mouth with every breath that you have and the nine months that we have been living, I want you to evaluate today what you need to do different, Christian, because people need to know who Jesus is. They need to know that he is the healer. They need to know that he is the king. They need to know that he is the one to run to, that he is there with open arms accepting them. See, don't get me wrong. Some of these things I just said might bring relief, and I hope that they do. They might make your world better. They might usher in hope, and to the world, those things may be all they have to look for for hope, but all those things are temporary. They will pass away. Our hope, the hope of a believer, is eternal. These are all things that I just described, things that you have to do, things that you have to work for, things that you have to act right for, do good, work harder, choose the right side, and and for hope to reveal itself. But the hope we have doesn't come because of something that we did. The hope that we have comes from a God that did it without us even asking The hope that we have was in place before we were even born. This hope existed without us having to work or yearn for. Our hope is birthed from believing. See, he is God, the creator, the alpha, the omega, the great I am, the lion and the lamb, the king that laid down his life for us. The hope of God is not contingent on the media or the social media. It can't be taken from us. It cannot be altered. It cannot be forgotten. It cannot be silenced. It cannot be censored. No matter how hard people try, our hope comes from the undeniable the unchangeable, the all-powerful creator of the world. And listen, even in his greatness, in his almightiness, the Bible says that we are the apple of his eye. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God, how could I be the apple of your eye? But that's exactly what we are. He has not only created us, but he has chosen us. And folks, that is why 
we can get our hopes up. We can hope for something greater than ourselves. We can hope for a creator to make his creation whole. We can hope for good things to be restored to us because we have a Savior that cares for us. This is the Christmas story, right? Get your hopes up because somebody is coming to restore us back to God. And so many of us will sit down this season and we will read the Christmas story to our families. We will get excited about the little baby Jesus. We will uh, give gifts to him. and That's why we do it, to honor and, and revere Christ our Lord. But I want to tell you that actually Luke 1, the text that we're going to be going through today is the rest of the story. You remember that, that um, radio show, The Rest of the Story? Some of us that are younger than me, you might not. Um, but it was, it was like this thing where you would hear um, the end of the story and then you would hear the rest of the story. And it was like this really cool way to wrap it up. And I want to tell you today that the, the story of Christmas in Luke 1 is actually the rest of the story. See, let's go to uh, Malachi 4, 1 through 3. This is the very last uh, scripture of the Old Testament. It says in Malachi 1 through 3, and I'm, I'm reading in the message version today, it says this, count on it. The day is coming, raging like a forest fire. All the arrogant people who do evil things will be burned up like a stove wood, burned to a crisp, nothing left but scorched earth and ash, a black day. But for you, sunrise, the sun of righteousness will dawn on those who honor my name, healing, radiating from its wings. You will be bustling with bursting with energy like colts, frisky and frolicking. You will tromp on the wicked. There will be nothing but ashes under your feet that day. God of all angel armies says so. Remember and keep the revelation I gave through my servant Moses. The revelation I commanded at Horeb for all Israel. All the rules and procedures for right living. But also look ahead. I am sending Elijah the prophet to clear the way for the big day of God, the decisive judgment day. He will convince parents to look after their children and children to look up to their parents. And if they refuse, I will come and put the land under a curse. That is the last words of the Old Testament. And then there was silence. The prophets stopped speaking. The Israelites stopped hearing. We call it the 400 years of silence where they didn't hear God. There was no more prophets. They were getting further and further away from him, still waiting for the person that was some, supposed to come and, and save them. And in their mind, their savior was a conquering king, someone that would rush in like a roaring lion and devour the Romans. But we know that's not what happened at all. So as they're waiting, we're going to now jump to the rest of the story, and we're going to start in Luke 1, verse 5. <clears throat> in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in their years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of this priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn 
incense. Number one, point number one, help, I'm sorry, hope is the helper of the chosen. Hope is the helper of the chosen. See, we just read that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous before God, obedient in everything, blameless and innocent of wrongdoing. Have you ever felt like this, believers? Where you are innocent, you are blameless, you are living your, your righteous life, you are doing what you can to follow God's decrees, you are honoring him in everything that you do, but yet you are experiencing barrenness. The things that you've hoped for aren't coming. Maybe it's a child, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a, just a, a career, maybe it's a, a talent. Uh, I've always wanted to sing, I, it's not happening. <laughs> But you know what I mean. You are blameless yet barren. And what I gather from this scripture is although you are barren, you can still be chosen. See, barrenness in that time was very bad. You were looked down upon like as it was your fault that you were barren. Yet even in their barrenness, God still chose Zechariah that day to, do, to go enter into the temple and a little fact about that time is that the priests during then, they only generally entered the temple, did that specific ritual one time in their life. Because of the rotation of priests, usually you were only chosen once because of how many priests that they were. So how amazing that this moment, this pinnacle moment for the rest of the story was chosen for Zacharias one time to enter the, ta- the, the temple. A barren man aged in years was chosen. See, hope is not dependent on what I have. It's solely dependent on whose I am and whose help I have. And all it takes is one holy moment in your life for a holy hope to change the trajectory of your life. And like, like I said before, that there's nothing that we can do to make mo- hope happen. God has already gifted that to the world. But there is something that we can do to prepare for the hope that is upon us. See, it is one thing to... Um, just wait for the hope like many of the Israelite, the Israelite nation did for 400 years of silence. Um, some of them cho- chose different ways of waiting for hope. Some continued to live as Malachi proclaimed to follow God's laws, to remember Moses and all of his laws. Some of them choose to make their own gods out of their very own hand, and they ended up making a smaller god than their own god. Some chose to make new rules to overcome the silence, the barrenness that they had been experiencing. And see, we all choose different ways of experiencing a loss of hope in our life. I want to ask you today, believer, how are you choosing to usher in hope in your life? Are you keeping your heart wide open for what Jesus is doing In 2020, are you continuing to read your Bible and pray and seek God and do all the things that you were doing when you go to church? Are you preparing your heart to receive hope and then to share hope? See, I believe that it's significant that God chose Zechariah, a man who walked blamelessly, to be the first one to hear of the good news that Jesus was coming. He would usher in Jesus, actually. Zechariah would.
And we're going to get to that in a second. Let's go to Luke 1, 10 through 12. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon his face, or fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. Number two, your hope-filled prayers Release the hope-fueled promise of the gospel. I had to read that word by word because it's kind of mouthy. But your hope-filled prayers release the hope-fueled promise of the gospel. See, we get a little picture into what Zechariah had been praying for. See, because it says, um, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. So we know that Zechariah prays for the coming of hope That's what the priests would pray for is for the coming of the Savior because that's the last prophecy that they had heard. They know that God is pointing them to to a Savior, to a Redeemer. They know that's going to be happening. So we know that he's been praying for that. But surely he's been praying for a son. Possibly he had given up, but God had heard his prayers. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. We pray because God hears us. See, your prayer life makes you a candidate for God to use you in your life. Your prayer life is to be filled with hope. Your prayer life is to be filled with confidence. Your prayer life is to be filled with joy. Your prayer life is to be filled with expectation. And some of you are saying right now, but my prayer life is not any of those things. And I want to encourage you today, as gently as I can, that if, if you are not experiencing hope, confidence, joy, and expectation in your prayer life, then you need to keep praying. Don't give up. You need to keep praying and seeking and searching and pressing after God. In fact, I would say that you need to do it more than you ever have before. I cannot um, uh, pr- say to you by fi- fact or science that this is going to happen, but I can tell you by testimony, by the word of God, That the more that you pray, the more that you seek God and lean into what he has for you, your prayer life will be filled with hope, confidence, joy, and expectation. These things will come. Even in isolation. Even in stay-at-home orders. Even when the church doors are not open. You can still expect these things to happen if your prayer life is consistent and fervent. God will do it for you. But the angel said, do not be afraid. So we know that Zechariah was human and that he was afraid. And so the angel says, do not, do not be afraid. And I love this because um, this is the moment, like if it was a movie and, and um, Zechariah is like, um, you know, there, the angel comes and, you know, the angel says, uh, I've heard your prayers. And um, then Zechariah is stricken with, with uh, fear. It's like the music starts building and you know that something is about to happen. It's like I see it in my head, this, this movie. <clears throat> and then it's like the angel drops the most biggest bomb of the movie, right, where everybody's like, oh, okay. So the angel says this in verse 14. After Zechariah is afraid, the, the, the um, angel is like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, okay. You will have great joy and gladness. 
and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord, and he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drink. He must be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. Or he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. And he will turn the Israel, many Israelites to the Lord their God, and he will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And in this movie, the light starts to shine bright, and all of a sudden you see that this is the hope-filled promise that they've all been waiting for. After centuries of silence, in one moment, an angel comes and drops this onto Zechariah. Now, let me go back for a second to Malachi, because this is significant. This is the rest of the story like I talked about. It says that he will be a great man in the spirit of power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Let's go back to Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 5. Look, this is the last thing that the Israelites heard. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. The last thing that a prophet said in the Old Testament is the first thing that the angel says to Zechariah about his coming son. See, it's so clearly to us, right? We're like, uh, hindsight is 2020. I'm looking back on this like, duh, Zechariah, like you should be seeing what's happening here. There's a whole lot going on. Pay attention. This should have sounded familiar to Zechariah, but the Bible is full of human people, people that we can relate to. Even God, uh, through the prophets, he spoke to the Israelites, and they certainly read this word many times. They knew it. Yet, Zechariah says this in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Number three, the hope of Christ does not expire. Don't allow the waiting to diminish your hope. See, this is what had happened. He had been waiting. And, and even as blameless and righteous as he was, Waiting can be really tiring. In waiting, you can become disillusioned. In waiting, you can forget the things that were so um, sown into who you were. And you, in waiting, you can forget the words that God had given you. And even this man who probably had heard that scripture, the, the holy word, many times, when it came to it applying to him, like, really, God? Wait, don't you see me? Don't you see all the things about me? Not like, whoa, God, you must be doing something because you brought an angel into this place, but what's wrong with me? How could you do this for me? But see, what Zechariah had failed to remember is that the hope of God does not expire. 
See, it's like this. Um, when I, I, a couple of months ago, a quarantine buy, I guess you could say, is I, I got a, an espresso machine, and so it makes like, you know, espressos like on the spot or whatever. I'm not a fancy coffee person, but all I know is I love this machine, okay? It is awesome. I got the little pods. I put it in there. We have the coffee, like frother, aerator thing. Uh, my kids make steamers out of it. Adam makes like a thing every night out of it. So we love this machine, okay? So every day, I don't even drink Starbucks that much anymore. Like, amazing, okay? So every day I go and I look forward to this cup of espresso. And I've even, like, tried to start, like, learning how to make fancy designs. And it hasn't worked. But, um, you know, with the milk. So every day I go get my espresso. I get the pot out. I'm, like, so excited, right? And then this has happened a couple times. Because my kids also like this, they use all the milk in the house, okay? So... I'm, like, so excited to get to my little espresso or cappuccino or I don't know, whatever it's called. I don't know the difference. And I make the coffee, and then I go to the, to the fridge, and uh, either the kids have drinking it all or have you experienced this where the milk is expired? That is, like, the worst feeling in the entire world. Like, all your hopes, you want this one thing. Maybe it's a bowl of cereal, right? Like, you go to have that cereal, and you go to the fridge, and the milk is expired, and it's like you can't go to the store because it's too late at night. You can't go to the store because you don't want to. The milk is expired. It is the saddest thing on the, in, in the world. Sometimes we view Christ in our life just like that. Like we don't see it happening. Our world doesn't seem to be going right. And we might think that the hope of Christ is expired. But can I tell you that Christ never gives us expired milk. He gives us Fresh milk. His word is always renewing. See, the enemy wants you to get your eyes off the hope of Christ. He wants to tell you all kinds of things. He wants to tell you that it's okay not to wait anymore. He wants to tell you that he has a better way. Your own mind wants to tell you that you don't need to wait anymore. Your own mind wants to tell you that you have a right to a certain way of living. Oh, man, we hear that all the time. This is my right you won't take away my rights. See, the enemy wants you to begin to believe that you are owed all these things. But what Christ wants you to know is that his hope never expires. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we need the joy and peace of our life. We need to know that God is the source of our hope. He will completely fill you with joy and peace because we trust in him. So in this time of waiting, of expiration, whatever it might be, barrenness, know that God is your source of hope and he will fill you completely with joy and peace. And we know our hope, we can wait on our promise. When we know our hope, we can wait on our promise. And if sometimes we cannot wait and sometimes our humanity gets to us, then we know that God will help us out. We can go to verse 19. It says, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. God's not messing around. Point number four, God will shut you up so you don't shut him out. 
Here's the thing. Uh, I, Dallas Willer is one of my favorite authors. He says this thing that's so profound that I think most Christians need to hear. He says that God is a gentleman and he will never force himself on you. And that is true for unbelievers. If you are an unbeliever, our God, the one God, the one true God, he will never force his way upon you in a way that is uh, like a dictator or is violent or is harmful. See, our God is a gentleman. He will lead you to him. Just like the prodigal son, he will call you back to him. But he will never force himself on him. So when I was reading this scripture, I thought, you know, that's interesting. Because in this moment, it didn't seem like God was being very gentlemanly. It seemed like God was giving him kind of a harsh uh, sentence. You're going to be silent. Because my words will be, will be fulfilled at the proper time time. But here's the difference between non-believers and Zechariah. Zechariah is a leader. See, Zechariah is positioned to usher in hope. That was his very job. Zechariah was a priest among the Israelites, and so if there was anybody to share the hope of Christ coming, it would be him. So I believe that God is a gentleman to unbelievers, but to leaders and to people that know him, he is going to do whatever it takes to make sure that his hope is revealed, even if that means putting you on mute. And certainly, a lot of us have experienced that where God puts us on mute because of things that maybe we've done, said, attitudes, and we question, God, what are you doing but the question is, what God, what do you want to do? Because you know he's doing something. So much to say about this because I really do think although God was harsh in that moment to make Zechariah silent, I know that God is a good God. So I think that God was being gracious with Zechariah. See, he could have killed him. That would have been in line with the ways that people had approached the Holy of Holies and been less than righteous was that they would die right there at that moment. But instead, he let Zechariah live. And he continued to allow Zechariah to be a person of influence. See, I believe that more influence you have, the more serious God is going to be with you because he knows that your influence will impact the world and he wants to use it for his good. He doesn't want you to use it for your good. Zechariah had influence. So God will go to great measures to make sure his great message is heard. And sometimes that means getting you out of the way. And you don't know, owe anybody an explanation for the waiting that's happening in your life. You don't owe anybody an explanation for the expiration that you might be experiencing. You don't even owe yourself an explanation. You just need to wait on God. Because what happens is if we try to explain what is happening, if we try to explain the waiting to ourselves, we begin to talk ourselves out of what God is going to do in our lives. See, verse 21, it says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant, and he went into seclusion, and she went into seclusion for five months. How kind is the Lord, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Point number five, allow hope to flow from God's house to your heart, house. 
allow hope to flow from God's house to you, your house. A couple observations about this verse. Number one, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he had taken so long. Think about this. These were the people praying in the, around the sanctuary. They waited for Zechariah to come out. Some of you can't even wait for church to get back in house. Can I just be straight up about that? Some of you can't wait for church to go back to the way you thought it should be. But these people waited for Zechariah. Maybe they believed that God would be saying something. Maybe there was a, a glimmer of hope that there would be something that would come out of the temple. And as they waited longer and longer, maybe they knew that it would be something that they've never heard before. The anticipation began to rise in them. I believe that this is a word for today, church. See, it may look like the enemy is doing something with us. It may look like the enemy is having his way. But what it is happening is that God is preparing us for his hope to be revealed to the Lord, to the world, like it never has before. I believe that with all my heart. If we do not capture this moment, if we do not take this moment for what it is, that God is setting a foundation that we have never experienced before, for the church to become the hope to the world, for the church to carry the message that it should have always carried, then you are missing what God is doing. See, the Bible says that nothing can come against the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. So church, today, I want to encourage you to wait. Because God is doing something. He is doing something now. So the people waited for the word and the temple. And though, although silent, although Zechariah was silent, you guys can start playing. Although Zechariah was silent, the people were listening. I love this. Because I have to imagine that Zechariah must have been some kind of person of influence if even though he was silent, they were still listening. Hope says, I'm not hiding you anymore. I'm going to highlight you so the world can experience the Lord is gracious in a barren place. And certainly they knew that Zechariah was a barren man. But here God says, hold on. I'm going to take the one that nobody would think, and I'm gonna place him in a place to do one of the greatest things I've ever done. And that is what God does over and over again in the Bible. In fact, as I was preparing for this message, I was telling Rudy, our tech director, like, okay, you know, Lord's, I'm just, you know, it's, I, I'm not a rusher, you know, so I was preparing this message and doing my best and honored that Pastor Dean would allow us to, he's, you know, he's amazing that way. And so I was telling, she asked me how the message is coming. And I said, oh, you know, it's coming. And she said something like, well, isn't that who God uses the most when you're in that place? See, I believe that your, the best place of influence is when God begins to highlight you in your barrenness. And, and then also the other observation is he took home, hope home and he acted on it. I want to get a little Pastor Damien on you here. He's sitting right here. So Zechariah, he's told by the angel that he is going to bear a child. In his old age, there is a child that will come to usher in the hope. So Zechariah went home and made a baby. He got busy with it. He did his job. <laughs> I can't say that. 
He made it happen. See, he took it from the place of intimacy with God where he heard from him and he acted on it. What is God telling you that you have not acted on yet? Zachariah is lucky, right? Because the thing that God is asking him to do is, you know, just happens to be one of the favorite things to do, right? (laughs) But what is God asking you to do? How is God asking you to carry hope from his house to your house? See, what the truth is, is that there is a judgment day coming. There will be a day when non-believers will be reconciled to Christ for what they believe. They will be called to their belief. And we will be too. And for us, we will enter into heaven for eternity. And for them, there is a very distant, different destiny. Eternal separation from our Lord and Savior. There is not one person in this world that I wish that upon. And when I think about that, in the light of 2020, in all the things that have come about us, and the death that we see, that even one person would go to meet their maker not believing that he is God, just really tears my heart apart. There is a judgment day coming, and our job is to tell the salvation that comes from Christ. See, God is getting our hopes up so that you can begin to get other people's hopes up. See, you are Gabriel first. You bring the good news, and then you are Zachariah to carry the good news even further. See, you are God's workmanship to tell of his great love, to share the hope to the world that Jesus Christ is our Savior. See, let's go on to the end of Luke. The, the, what happens after that is we know that uh, Elizabeth's cousin, Mary, becomes pregnant with Jesus. Lots of great things happen. I want you guys to read that this, this uh, Christmas, the Christmas story. But if you go down to verse 67, see, we see Zechariah give a prophecy. I think that this is significant because what we know is that Malachi was the last prophecy. And here comes Zechariah, overcome by the Holy Spirit, giving a prophecy. So if I can read it for you today, it says this, Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Listen to what he's saying. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent a mighty Savior from the royal line of David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us from to the path of peace. That is the prophecy that Zechariah gave. And I want to encourage you in this Christmas season, as we are getting people's hopes up, that is the prophecy that we need to be sharing today. There is a Savior that is here for us. 
He has already paid the price so that you will be whole, redeemed, white as snow, spending eternity with our Heavenly Father in the most wonderful place that you can ever imagine. I want to be Zachariah today. I want to be a person that carries hope from the church to my home to the world. I want to be that person. I want to end with this. Many of you in the Christmas season, you have lights in your window. This is something I've uh, seen as a tradition as a, as a kid. In fact, we have a light, uh, three light candle lights that we put in our window. And uh, I was, the, lo- the Lord kept bringing that light to my mind as I was preparing for this message. So I finally just thought, okay, why, why, do, I, why do I keep thinking about that? So, you know, honestly, I didn't know what, why do we put the, I kind of had an idea we put the light in the, in the window as a representation of the, the hope of this Christmas story, the light, what God was promising. So I looked it up just to kind of confirm, and, and I want to share with you um, where this light comes from. Following the Irish tradition, it was a beacon of safety, letting visitors know that their home would offer them refuge. It was also a beacon to neighbors as homes used to be very far apart. The light shining in the window would light the way for visitors as they traveled to visit their neighbors. The candle also represented a beacon for a family member that was away. The family lit the candle every night in hopes that their missing member would find their way home safely. A candle in the window could also represent joyous news like the birth of a baby. I want my family members to find their way home safely. See, the meaning then was that family members would leave and we don't know if they would come back in those days. But the meaning today, I believe, is that there are family and friends that are lost, that don't know their way, and maybe they have believed before and strayed, or maybe they have never believed. But God wants them to find their way home. He wants you to share the hope of Christ so that they can return to him, so that the light that is inside of you can be shared with the world so that we can spread the goodness all over the world. So I just wanted to use this as an example, as a light. This is one of our candle lights that we use for our candlelight service. But if you have a light this season, if you have, or maybe you could go to the store and get one, I want to encourage you, if you want to be a person of hope, would you put this candle in your window? Because there are people maybe right next to you, right next door to you, but because of the season that we're in are actually very far away. There are people that are are lost, that can't find their way. There are people that need light to find Jesus. So I want to encourage you today to get a candle and put it in your window so people can get their hopes up. And then also, I want to pray for a very specific group of people. And, and it's hard today because we don't know um, how non-believers might find the church online. But I, I want to ask if there are any of you online that maybe don't know Christ Maybe you're just checking this out. Maybe you've been playing church. I I don't know your situation. But you have not believed in the hope of the world. Today, if that is you, in your very own house or wherever you might be, if you want to receive Jesus into your heart so that you may experience the hope 
of salvation and eternity with our God. All it takes is a simple click of a, of a button. There's a salvation button. Click that button and somebody will join you to pray with you, to talk to you about what this decision means. And then I want to ask those of you that maybe have lost a little bit of hope, maybe you have thought it has expired, maybe you have um, thought that God can't use you, maybe you are in a barren place and you don't know how to get back to God. Would you click on the pray for me button? Someone today is going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. But I want to ask that you take that step out and, and tell somebody, tell somebody how you're feeling. So let me pray with you all today. Jesus, we love you, God. You are the light of the world. You are the hope of the world. God, you are everything that we need, God. There is nothing greater than you, Jesus. We worship you, God. We honor you for the hope that you have revealed to us. God, you have been so good. I pray for the new believer today. Jesus, would you just speak to their heart and call them back to you? God, would you be a gentleman, Lord, and remind them or tell them about your love for them, that, Jesus, that you don't have um, a life of condemnation for them, but you have a life of hope for them. God, that you desire for them to live um, in, in a place of peace and, and joy fulfilled, God. Pray that they would walk into your salvation confident, knowing that you will do a good work in their life. And God, I pray for the believers today that maybe have spoke a little bit less than hope in these last several months. God, I ask that the, the fire of you, God, would burn in their souls, Jesus. I pray that they would begin to experience the boldness of hope. God, I pray that you would rise up in them again, Lord, the anointing that you have promised to them, Jesus, so that they can walk in the promises that you have given them, so that they can accept the anointing that you have given them, Jesus. I ask for every lie that the enemy has tried to say, that the enemy has tried to bring in 2020. I pray against that in Jesus' name. I pray against every lie that would, that would seed anything less than hope in somebody's heart, Jesus. Purify us, God. Get us ready for this season, Jesus, so that we could do nothing else but get people's hopes up for the hope of Christ. God, I pray all this in your name. We love you, God. We worship you, Jesus. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, church, for joining us today. I want to encourage you to listen to some worship music today. Honor him. Make this a day of reverence to our Lord. We love you all. We'll be seeing you next week. We, the church is not closed. It's anything but closed. We are doing all kinds of awesome things. So stay connected to what's, hoping, what's going on. We love you, and we'll see you next week.